if you think about what's the relationship between principal and yield in the real life, you can see that there's the ratio at which these two tokens trade against each other, which it implies what the market thinks is the yield, right? So if right. in one pool, we have five principal tokens and we have 100 yield tokens and it's a one year pool, then that means that the market thinks the APY for the pool should be 5%. And based on that, people can take speculative bets. It's, oh, the current rate is 5%. The market thinks that. So I'm just going to fix my yield there. And then you, what happens there is that there's a swap between yield and principal tokens, and then the rate drops. So it goes down from 5% to 4.9%. Right. And then somebody else comes in on the other side. They say, oh, I think the yield is too low. I'd rather get a leveraged exposure to the yield. I'm going to buy more yield tokens. And the yield goes back up to 5%. The market always balances itself out until it settles at the rate that the market thinks is the, the most appropriate one. Welcome to Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel. Hey, folks, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Excited to have you listening to Mission DeFi. Wanted to quickly give you a note that this episode was recorded prior to the Andre Kranje mess. And obviously, our discussion of that was prior to everything that occurred. In addition, Tempest is already available on Phantom. So go check them out. It's a really great project, really solid team. I'm really impressed with uh, David and his leadership, and I appreciate him coming on. If you like what we're doing and you enjoy these episodes, please take just a moment to go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. It helps us grow our audience and keeps us rolling and helps us spread DeFi. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. I'm excited to have on the show David Garai from Tempest. And I'm excited because it's a, a part of the DeFi landscape that I think a lot of people don't necessarily have familiarity with in traditional finance or in DeFi itself. And it's growing rapidly. And I think it presents a lot of opportunities for investors. And of course, we like anything that kind of grows the DeFi space and the usability of what we can do. So David, welcome on board. Thanks for joining us. If you could, well, let's get started. If you could tell us a little bit of your background and how you got into crypto and why you're creating Tempest. 
Sounds good. Thanks, Brad. Good to be here. Yeah, maybe I can just jump right into it. My background is I have is legal, so I, I come from a legal background. I went to law school in the UK. I finished that. Wow. You know, all the usual stuff, and then after that, I went to work at a big law firm in London. I did mostly derivatives and structured finance work, working for the big banks and the big hedge funds and uh, big investment banks, helping them structure all of their interesting exotic derivatives deals, mostly equity derivatives, interest rate derivatives, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of late nights uh, crunching over is this, nice. <laughs> uh, which, which, which is what it was. Uh, and then um, after that, I moved to Tokyo, worked there at a different law firm for three more years. And then after that, I, I said, okay, it's enough for that, which I think a lot of lawyers come to that conclusion. Uh, sooner or later. And then, so that, so I left, I joined another blockchain startup called Interlay. I worked there for a couple of months as a head of, head of operations. I still, I'm still involved with the project, uh, by the way, but at that time I thought it was time to leave, call it quits, because I, my co-founder and I had this idea to build a product in the space that I had been working in, in my previous life as a lawyer, which was you know, interest rate derivatives and working in that field, working in the big law firm and doing these uh, billion dollar deals made me realize that it's such a huge area of finance that is not really developed in DeFi at the moment. And I realized also that when institutions start entering the space, there will be a lot of demand for you know, fixed income products and interest rate swaps. And so we try to come up with an idea that's somewhat similar to interest rate swaps, but do it in a more DeFi native way. Okay. Awesome. And what, was your involvement in DeFi just something that you stumbled upon or really what drove you? What, what Was there a mission for you or was it an opportunity? And there's nothing wrong with either answer. No, I think it was in between. I think I, I mined Bitcoin back in 2013, like a long time ago. And then, but I think I gave up because it uh, killed my laptop's CPU. It didn't even, I didn't even try mining with the GPU. I was over the CPU. It was like a disaster. But That's back funny. in the day. Oh no, my laptop's on fire. Let's stop. But yeah, funny story actually. Like I just discovered on Slush Pool that I could, I still had access to the Slush Pool account. And I tried and I looked at it like a few, uh, literally a few days ago. And it had a balance of $50 in it, which is not too bad for <laughs> considering that I use my laptop for 30 minutes before it went on fire. So that's pretty uh, good. That's, that was yeah, pretty yeah, successful yeah. for yeah, that. Pretty yeah. successful. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but but I think for us, it was in between. So I had an involvement with crypto from an early age. I was always yeah, super enthusiastic about it. I wasn't really too sure about where it's going to go until I started working in the field. But when you start working in crypto, I think like most people would agree that once people st once you start working in crypto, you never go back to your traditional uh, job. And, and I realized like how much. Uh, how much funding there is, buzz about it, and the whole idea about like decentralization, decentralized applications was something that was very exciting for me. And then I tried to take that, you know, excitement and then couple that together with my previous background as a lawyer and my knowledge of like interest rate derivatives and try to combine the two. And that's how we started. Yeah, as an attorney, you had a, you you really had insights into the inner workings of things, what people were thinking about when they were building these things in traditional finance, uh, what the motivations of the players in in the space were. It probably gave you a ton of insights into being able to apply it to building a product. That makes a ton of yeah, that's true. But although we, I mean, one thing that I have I can say is that in traditional finance, I negotiated these high OTC, very custom deals for 
between banks and companies. And mm. these deals had, there's a lawyer on each side. There's a lot of back and forth. Terms are, you know, heavily negotiated. And then once you sign, it's a completely non-collateralized deal. Parties, they, you get the counterparty risk of the other party. And then it's a long trade. So you enter into an interest rate swap for the next, I don't know, up to 10 years. Wow. But the DeFi, this doesn't work, right? Because uh, <laughs> non-collateralization doesn't work because you don't know who your counterparty is. Yeah, if you go with sure. a similar model, they just run away with your money. We had to come up with a way that, first of all, gets rid of this problem, this like heavy customization, because that doesn't work in the context of DeFi. People don't have time to negotiate stuff for a long period of time. And they don't trust the counterparty. So how do you come up? How do you solve these two issues? What this was the key problem for us? And what we came up with was Tempest. It's kind of like a future yield tokenization protocol. And I'll, I'll go into the nuances a bit later, but we tried to negate all these issues by basically redesigning of how interest rate derivatives should work. Let's let's step back to what the model is for it, how it exists in traditional finance and then what you guys morphed it into and what you were trying to, the advantage right. or the possibilities that you were trying to give to people that you learned from traditional finance. What is interest rate swaps? How does that work? And who are the people? Sure. That, is this all big banks? There's no Joe on the street trading interest rate swaps or... It uh, trickles down. You, when, if you have a mortgage, that's a fixed rate mortgage, there's a swap in there. There's a swap mm-hmm. involved and there's a variable payment and the bank pays, it gets from the lenders. And then they, there's a swap involved with there, but they take your cash flows and then swap it with someone else. So they fix their in and outgoing payments. And so most people who have a loan, it's a fixed rate loan. There's a chance that there's a swap involved. You just don't know about it because the bank does it on your behalf. But the rate that you get as a fixed rate, the fixed rate mortgages are always higher than variable rate mortgages. Right. The reason for that is they there's additional risk involved. So they have to pay more for that. And there's the, 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 the way that's structured is that there's a swap. Let's say you're a company, you're borrowing a lot of money. You have to pay monthly interest payments that is that's structured as, let's say, the current rate, the current Fed rate, interest rates right now, central bank, whatever, central bank base rates plus X percent, right? Plus 2%, let's say. Okay. Uh, if you're a company that's risky because in 10 years time, you don't know what the base rate is going to be. You don't know what the Fed's right. going to do in two, mm. in two months time, let alone what it's going to do in five years time. So in order to account for your own cash flows, mm. you enter into a swap. Uh, that fixes these outgoing payments. You know exactly in each month how much you're going to have to pay. So that gives you certainty over your own finances. You're not going to be out of the money if something goes wrong. And maybe you have to pay a little bit more in the beginning, but over time, you're confident that this is a good hedge, which is what it is. Right. Yeah. So this is how it works in traditional finance. Normally, there's a very long, heavily negotiated document between a bank and the company that wants to do this. And you have to, there's all sorts of covenants in there, a lot of different uh, terms that people have to be comfortable with. And the, there is normally some collateral, but not, not fully collateralized, but like what we would want to see or over collateralized that we would want to see in DeFi. So there's an element of trust in there, but you have to collateralize it a little bit. This model doesn't work in DeFi, right? It's difficult to pull that off because uh, there's, you know, negotiation, counterparties, it doesn't work. So yeah, it doesn't translate. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so you guys were endeavoring to give something similar to that wh- where it's a stable income based product, but wrap it up into DeFi so that it was trustless and people could actually take part in these kinds of markets, but in a different way. So what did you guys do to approach the problem and how did you address that? 
Yeah, I, maybe I can start with explaining like uh, interest-bearing tokens and yield-bearing tokens in DeFi. So let's say you're lending on you're lending your money on Compound, or you're staking your money on staking uh, ETH on Lido, for example. You always get something in return. So there's a token that represents that your funds being lent out. On Compound, these would be C tokens. On Ava, they would be A tokens. Right. On Yearn, would be Y tokens. And then on Lido. If it's just, it's called stake. Mm -hmm. And then these tokens appreciate in value. And technically it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting discussion that these tokens technically appreciate in value in perpetuity forever. So there's no maturity date on it. So if you think about them, they're like a perpetual bond in traditional finance, only that doesn't really exist because no company will say, I will keep paying you interest forever on this <laughs> loan. You know, right. like that would right. be, there are some companies that still have that, but they're like leftover stuff from the early 1900s and stuff that but they couldn't get rid of. And then they still keep paying interest on that. But aside from that, that kind of product doesn't exist. So the first issue that we face is like, how do we turn this perpetual interest paying token into something that can be valued? So, so how do we value the interest payments on something that is supposed to earn interest forever? It's an impossible thing to do. So <laughs> what we need to do first is we need to take these C tokens, A tokens, other interest brain tokens, and then we have to lock them into a contract with a maturity date. Uh, they can be unlocked after, but we have to give it a maturity date so that we can value how much interest will accrue between two dates, because otherwise right. you can't make a calculation if it uh, continues into eternity. So I've staked my yeah. tokens somewhere. I, I know I'm going to earn X percent on some kind mm. of stable level. I lock my tokens. My tokens would be locked up for a specific period of time so that you guys can calculate the overall value of those over that particular yeah. period of time. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So what we do is, so we take it, take a C token, for example. Let's just stick with that as an example. Everybody knows Compound, right? Yep. Um, so you, you, we take a C token, we lock it into a contract with a maturity date. And then what we do is we basically split the C token into two separate tokens. Once we lock the C token into this contract with a maturity date, we turned it from a perpetual bond into a bond that, that only accrues interest until a certain period of time. So it's like, now we turn this perpetual thing into an actual bond. It's like a zero coupon bond, like. Uh, similar to that. And then once we once that's done, we basically split it out into two different tokens. The first token is called the principal token. And that means that basically it's just a claim to the principal position. So the amount of money that you put in at the start. So let's say you put in $100, just as in this example, you put in 100 C tokens, for example, and then you are you will receive 100 principal tokens, which will be redeemable for 100 C tokens. At the to maturity. get those back at the end of the maturity. To get it back. So that's mm -hmm. one token that we do. And then we also tokenize the yield that accrues on these 100 C token as a separate token. So it's right. like a separate thing. Uh, and this is where the interesting stuff comes in is that you can trade these two newly created tokens, the principal token and the yield token against each other through an AMM. Uh, and which and this is this allows for a bunch of different use cases. For example, so let's say you you want to get a fixed yield. So what do you do? You're, you have exposure to C tokens. Let's say you already have a bunch of them in your wallet, or you're lending on Compound, and then you want to you say, oh, I think rates will go drop from here. I think I can't take this. I just want to make sure that I lock in this current rate. And let's see what Tempus offers, and then I'll just want to get this for the next six months. 
and no matter what bear market happens, I'm still gonna get that. So what do you do? So how does it work under the hood? Because on Tempus, you can just get put in these C tokens and just get the principal tokens in one swap, right? So you right. swap these C tokens into principal tokens, which know how much they're gonna be worth on maturity. But under the hood, what's happening is we have the C tokens, we, we have, let's say you put in 100 C tokens, we separate that into principal tokens and yield tokens, and then we make a swap between, and we swap all of your future yield tokens for more principal tokens. So you end up, you end up depositing 100 C tokens, but you end up with 105 basically locked C tokens that is redeemable at a future time. And the interesting thing about this model is that there's no stable coin is involved, right? Like you can look at similar protocols that are working in the space and they have two separate AMMs. They have a USD slash principal pool and they have a yield token slash, slash uh, stable coin pool, just two separate pools. Right. We don't do that. We just have one pool, principal token slash yield token. It's very easy for people to get a fixed yield. And you can do that in just one swap. So it's, it's, you can get certainty very easily. So basically you're just locking in what your future value should be at the current rates. At the end of the day, what's the motivation on your side of the equation in offering this, right? What's the end value to other players within your protocol and what happens at that point? You're not just giving people yeah. free money. If no, 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 no. It's a, yeah. it's a risk reallocation mechanism between different market participants because you can think of, so maybe I can explain a little more about this principal yield pool, because that's the interesting stuff, right? If you think about what's the relationship between principal and yield in the real life, you can see that there's the ratio at which these two tokens trade against each other, which it implies what the market thinks is the yield, right? So if right. in one pool, we have five principal tokens and we have 100 yield tokens, and it's a one-year pool, then that means that the market thinks the APY for the pool should be 5%. And based on that, people can take speculative bets. It's, oh, the current rate is 5%. The market thinks that. So I'm just going to fix my yield there. And then you, what happens there is that there's a swap between yield and principal tokens, and then the rate drops. So it goes down from 5% to 4.9%. Right. And then somebody else comes in on the other side. They say, oh, I think the yield is too low. I'd rather get a leveraged exposure to the yield. I'm going to buy more yield tokens. And the yield goes back up to 5%. The market always balances itself out until it settles at a rate that the market thinks is the, the most appropriate one. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's a nice simplified explanation. I think most people who aren't familiar with this, that'll help a lot. And so essentially you're allowing people to hedge against their current value and potential yeah. downturns in the market and other people to speculate on future value. And also we provide like a very unique value proposition for liquidity providers. Because as a liquidity provider, what you provide liquidity with is your yield-bearing token. So for example, C tokens in this context. Let's say you're lending on compound and you're getting like, let's say 5%, good case scenario, you're getting 5% on your USDC. And you think, well, I'm not using this position for anything else. Maybe I want to get some extra yield on top of it. And then what you can do is you can deposit into Tempus and you can get some additional yield on top of the currently existing compound yield. The way that works is that so you provide the C token and then we split it out into principal and yield tokens. Then we use those principal and yield tokens to provide liquidity to the AMM. Nice. So when people are making these swaps and uh, there's like a 1% swap fee or whatever swap fee is set up in that pool, as a liquidity provider, you get a percentage of that. So you get you benefit from the underlying trading activity in the pool. And then basically the two yields are aggregated into one high yield. 
So as an as a LP, you get the compound 5% plus, let's say, the Tempus API is 5% on top of that. So you can boost your compound yield by an additional 5% by doing this, basically. Yeah. Awesome. Why is it that you think that other folks in this arena have separate AMMs for each, whereas you all, how did you guys come up with saying, okay, let's just put this all together? What was the thought process behind that? I think the first thing is it's a lot more capital efficient because as a liquidity provider, let's say on a dollar to dollar basis, the yield in Tempest is always going to be higher because in this design, you maintain exposure to the entire underlying yield because liquidity is provided as principal slash yield, right? So you get the entire compound yield. In other, pool, in other designs, if you want to have, if you want to be a liquidity provider on both sides, you have to match the principal token with the backing token. So with the, let's say a stable coin, right? Then you have to match the amount of yield tokens with the stable coin as well. So if you provide $1,000 worth of, worth of liquidity in the split design, that means that there's half of that in stable coins. So right. the yield is always lower, right? Because you cut right. the underlying yield in half. So as an LP, because of the capital efficiency in Tempo, it's, it's obvious that the, the yields are higher. So it makes more sense for people to provide liquidity. Also, it didn't really, what I have seen in a lot of different designs is that the yield side itself doesn't really get used that much. So people just use the yield tokens to exit and there's not that much trading activity there. So putting the two together forces people to to have more liquidity on the yield token side and then nice. they use that as well, which is the case. So we've seen some good trading activity in our pools. When, when did you guys start building this? I think it was April. April, yeah. All right. And yeah. how's it going so far? How's the uptake? Good. Maybe I can tell you a bit about the team. So yeah, yeah, it, was only the, it was only the two of us. My co-founder, George, and I. Georgia, he, he worked at the Ethereum Foundation when we met nice. uh, in the Solidity team. And then we wow. uh, raised like a small like $2 million seed rounds, ended up hiring like, I think uh, six people. Back then, uh, it was a team of seven people. Then we raised another round, another strategic round. We went to mainnet. Then we did a uh, did an LBP, raised another 27 million. And then now the team is pretty well funded, and we're just going up to 20 people next month. Wow. So wow, it's man. been a, it's been a crazy like eight months or so. It's uh, crazy to think about that we're not even a one year old protocol, but we're already on mainnet. We just released like basically an MVP using Lido Stake ETH. Uh, right. That's done you know uh, relatively well. Uh, and then now, because yields have dropped quite a bit across, especially across the Ethereum ecosystem with the impending bear market, or we'll see how it goes, but it doesn't look great. We're looking at other chains as well, because yields are a bit higher. And uh, let's be honest, like getting 3% uh, fixed yield on your DAI or getting a 3% variable rate on your DAI, it doesn't really make too much difference, especially since most people are down like minus 50%. So uh, 3% fixed yield is not that attractive right now. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at other chains. In fact, we just announced that we're going to be deploying on Phantom where awesome. the yields are you know, much higher. Like it's, I would say it's uh, 15, 20% on uh, stable coins, which is, which is very attractive to users. And then if you can fix that, if you could fix that back in the day when Compound had 20%, I think a lot of people would have gone with that. Right. Uh, so the value proposition that we offer is that what if yields, yields drop from here, you can hedge against that and lock in the current rate for the next year and then guarantee to get that 15, 20% on your stable coins. That's great. What What's the minimum lock-in periods on these? So there's no lock. It's the interesting I'm thing. I'm sorry, not the, like, lo- uh, the maturity. 
Oh, yeah, I think that just depends on the market. What we're trying to do is just get people's interests about, have some ideas about what they want. We tried three-month pools, six-month pools. Maybe we'll even try one-year pools uh, for these ones. I think uh, it's mixed because it's a new protocol. People want to try it out first. Uh, they want to just uh, experiment with it a little bit. So shorter pools make sense for that reason. But longer pools sense. offer, I think that's a little more exciting because the longer the pool, the more uncertainty there is and the more volatility there is. So I expect that in the long run, we'll try to move towards longer maturity. But the interesting thing is maturity dates don't really matter that much because you can early redeem and you can exit your position at any time. So you can do that. So maybe you'll be a little bit out of the money if the rates have changed against your favor, but your funds are never locked. So even if you exit into a long pool, and then you end up yield farming in that in six months passes and you're in a one-year pool, you can still exit and make, get a profit. It's not, it's not a, not a big deal. As you grow, is, is part of the, the growth strategy for you to partner with other protocols in the space to get them to promote people towards you? And are, are there integrations you can do with some other places where people are getting yields so that yeah. it becomes something very simple and easy for them to participate with you guys? I think that's a good thing about like Tempus in general is that we we can integrate with any source of yield. And then that basically means that the opportunities are endless in what protocols we can integrate with. And it's part of our growth strategy to try to integrate with as many protocols as we can. Uh, there are some limiting factors. So we need to have a significant TVL in a single pool for us to be worth integrating with. Because if they don't have sufficient liquidity, then what's the point in building a secondary market on it? If sure. it only has $10 million, like at that point, we probably have to wait and see and then uh, once it gets to the, the higher uh, seven figures, eight figures, then it's, uh, it's easier for us to be convinced that there is actually demand for our product. But that being said, I think now because DeFi TVL has grown by a lot, it's uh, easy for us to find integration partners. And there are the, the good thing is we support any, sort, any form of yield farming, whether that's staking, whether that's uh, liquidity provision, lending, there's uh, all sorts of different things. Uh, so we can integrate with basically anything. It doesn't really matter to us as long as it offers like a high-ish yield and with some volatility. Is this something where um, the protocols you're working with, they need some level of composability so you guys can track what the current yields are on that protocol? Yeah, that's right. And also I think luckily there are most of these yield bearing tokens tend to follow some, tend to have some consistency. Once you do integrate with C tokens or A tokens, uh, a lot of other models have inherited that. So there isn't that much difference. And I think there are some proposals being made on Ethereum right now to, to make them standardized as well, which would make integrations really easy. Sure. Um, so we'll see how that goes. How, how do you guys, besides TVL slash volume, are there other things you have to consider because of the nature of what you do for the stability of a protocol team? Are, are, do you guys have to like do due diligence on, on the projects that you're thinking about offering in Tempest? Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, and actually we spend a lot of time doing that. Now we have two people in our research team whose wow. jobs are setting the most appropriate rates, setting the most appropriate AMM parameters, maturity dates, and all this kind of stuff. And part of their part of their job is to also find out as much as they can about all these protocols that we try to integrate with and make sure they're audited, they have good usage, good community, no history of exploitation and all this kind of stuff. Because ultimately as Tempus, although we make it clear that you get an exposure to the smart contract risk of the underlying protocol, obviously we don't want to expose our users to 
all sorts of hacks and everything else. That being said, we're working on protocol level insurance for Tempest so that we insure all the funds automatically when somebody is depositing. So you don't have to worry too much about that, which by the way, also covers the underlying protocol at the same time. So if something goes wrong on that side, then you know you get your funds back, which is great. And then we have bug bounties and, and several audits as well. We take security pretty seriously. That's cool. Has it been, in terms of building community around this, has it, is it a little more difficult because it's something that average investors haven't dabbled in in the real world in time yeah. educating? And not just that, we're in a weird position and we're actually trying to find out what's the best way to market the product as well. Because if you look at the normal retail user, they, they don't really care too much about fixed yields. What they care about is getting 10,000% APY, right? <laughs> uh, and then and they, and they don't want to get, they don't want to hear about all these fixed yields and it doesn't really matter to them because it's all in, you know, the risk on. Sure. Um, and it's not really their kind of thing to dabble into this uh, boomer area of crypto. So uh, we have to, so we're coming up with a bunch of different products right now that will cater to all these users as well, by the way. For example, right now you can very easily get a fixed yield. It's like a single transaction and a lot of people potentially want that in volatile pools. But at the same time, what we're releasing and what we're working on is for people to take the other side of the trade and bundle that as a vault product. So we would have wow. a 2x leverage or a 3x leverage uh -huh. vault at the same time. That uses the same backend, but what's happening there in reality is that instead of swapping your yield tokens for principles and holding only principles, we make a swap. So you end up with twice the amount of yields as principles, and that automatically creates a 2x leverage oh, uh, wow. for the user. So that you're, you, if you want to take a little, little more risk and you don't mind having a, having a small chance of losing your part of your principal, you can just deposit into these vaults and then you into for any urine pool, for example, or for compound or anything else. And then if rates go up, you make more money. If rates go down, you make, you lose more money. This will cater to all these uh, other kinds of users and it will part of our rebrand as well. Well, I think that's, look, I think there's an entire segment of the market that will always be degen about those kinds of things. And I think you're smart to re, to rebrand, not rebrand, re position some of that. Yeah. But I also think actually a bear market plays into the, the fixed yield for you guys. Like everybody's, yeah. I think it, it takes a few weeks after these crashes for it to really hit. But I think what's going to happen is, well, I think people are already assessing mm -hmm. this is where can I be more conservative? I got really burned. Yeah. I got liquidated. I got, I've lost 90% of value on X token what can I do to make sure that I start preserving some of what I'm burning? Yeah. And so yeah. I actually think you guys could be in a very good place in the nearer term for people saying, okay, I need to de-risk some of what I'm doing. And rebase tokens haven't worked out so well in some ways. So <laughs> maybe I shouldn't always be in that world. Yeah. But maybe there's an integration for you that is, I could imagine somebody like me who I play both sides. I play some conservative and I play some aggressive, yeah. Yeah. but it would be very cool if there was a way for me to automatically siphon off some percentage of the gains I'm getting mm. into a product like yours, where it's like just some level of more conservative play for me might be interesting. So I think you guys have a lot of potential right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're trying to move towards that. So I think traditionally one of the limitations of these similar protocols that like ours is that was that it was very difficult to use it. Like you have to go into one protocol, you get the one token, then you have to split it down into two tokens and you have to make a swap and you have to provide liquidity to this pool and that pool. And it's like a six step process. And by the time you get to the end, you're like losing it. And we're trying to get it, do it so that it's one transaction. So if you want to get a fixed yield, it's just one transaction. It's like a single transaction. You can do everything in one go. You just click of a button, 
is how much the deficit is, is how much you're going to get on maturity. And that this is like our goal, actually, so that people, it's easy to use it so that if you have some, you know, leftover cash, just put it in there. And I think our phantom deployment will help a lot with that because yeah. you don't have to pay, especially for fixed yields, because you don't have to pay like $200 for a transaction, yeah. uh, which kind of negates the whole point of the fixed yield because you're probably losing uh, that much <laughs> in the transaction fees unless you're depositing millions of dollars. Now we're going to you know, have the chance to showcase it and use it for the things you just mentioned. Yeah. That's awesome. Have you, are you guys considering tapping your old buddies for, for whom you were attorneys to push this product? We have, we have. Yeah. Put a, so put a nice I think simple it's an bank interface thing. on it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, there are, I, I know a lot of ex, not ex bankers, but bankers, but probably also ex bankers that work in the fixed income space. And uh, if you work in fixed income in banking, like normally it's like the least sexy area of banking <laughs> because you're doing fixed income, which is the most boring stuff. So when I actually talk to them about this and I pitch it to them, they're like, oh, wow, this is great. This is super interesting. And you work in crypto, like, wow. So it's not easy. It's not hard to try to convince them to you know, join the project or promote it in some way or work together and then talk to their institutional investors to try to use it. So we're trying, trying a bunch of different angles. Uh, it's very early days. It's still, we haven't, it's been less than a year since we started sure, the whole project, sure. but, uh, but I, I think we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. I look, I think there's some potential there. It's two, I'll tell you two quick things. I just saw a company that got funded some ridiculous amount, like two weeks mm. ago, I think. And they're doing stable deposits where they're probably earning 20% on it. And they're guaranteeing yeah. non-crypto consumers 10% on their money. And they're just using Plaid to connect to their bank accounts. And there's obviously an appetite for that. The, mm. yeah, the other interesting thing is I was talking to a guy today who is very high net worth person. And he was asking me about crypto. Right. I helped him on board with a little Bitcoin, Ethereum a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The whole bit. And, and he- Just and before I, the crash. Right <laughs> before, just a couple of days, basically. <laughs> so I'm glad I wasn't trying to persuade him. He came to me. But here's the interesting thing. I was having this conversation two hours before you and I got on this interview. And he's an older man, right? He's 65, 70 years old. Yeah. And he said, what, what in crypto can I do that I'm not risking the money my wife and I are living on but I'm also not risking the money I'm going to give to my kids. I said, let me ask yeah. you a question. What does that look like for you? Is that a 10% play? Is that a 5% play? He goes, I would be over the moon for a 5 to 10% play that I knew was safe and I could count on. Yeah. He said, I would do that all day long because I can't get that in the real world. So I think you guys are, I, I th and I think there's a gateway for you to these institutional guys where you can shield you don't have to shield the complexity so much because they get complex topics. And then sure. there's potentially some other potential biz dev integrations you guys could do. I think, I, I think yeah, you're actually yeah. in a good place at a good time, frankly. Yeah, I agree. And there are so many projects right now that are trying to bridge the gap between DeFi and traditional finance. Um, what they're trying to do is take the DeFi yields and then package it in some way. And then they pass it on to the customer in the form of a bank account or something right and then they could use tempus and this is part of our business development efforts as a source of their fixed yield so they don't have to take on the risk themselves the yields falling they can hedge themselves right and get certainty that they're going to get that yield that they can take a little bit of a cut on and then they pass it on to the customer that makes total sense so this is one of the one of the things and that yeah i think what you mentioned is right so there's a lot of a lot of people who are now entering into the crypto that don't have this risk profile they're right. more normal people they're, they haven't been exposed to crypto since they were 16 years old. So their whole brain is set up differently. They don't want to risk everything in one go. They just want to 
get some certainty about their yields. So that's one target group. And institutions are obviously another one because they they have mandates. So they don't. Uh, some institutions, ones that are or just funds that have fixed income strategies, they they're limited, so they, they have to invest in this kind of stuff. And then there's another whole different part is like diff other blockchain projects and DAOs, and that they need to have some certainty that they're going to get some cash on it, and they want to be sure that like in a year's time, they're going to have 10% more. And this is one way that they can do it. No, that's awesome. I definitely see you guys being able to build up with treasuries. It's funny. I was talking to a guy the other day who set up a fund who I interviewed him. I actually got to get his episode out. He set up a fund, but it's not really a fund in the traditional sense. So it's not like a 220 where he's taking right. fees and commissions. Yeah. Th these are people that want a taste of crypto and mm. they, he somehow has explained rebasing an Olympus DAO to them. And they yeah. don't want to deposit directly. They just want to deposit with a registered company of some kind. So mm. they set up this registered company. He thinks he'll get this to a billion dollars. <laughs> and he closed like 40 million within three or four days of starting to talk about it. And all he does is set this up and charge 3.3%. And he's taken a check and buying the tokens, right? And staking it. And that's all he's doing. <laughs> I'm like, that's a pretty good gig, man. There's no pressure. Right? No, 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 no. Yeah, you don't take on any of that risk. Perform. You have to custody the assets, but you can pass that on to somebody else. You don't yeah. have to. You have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah, it's good business. It's pretty exciting to see all the potential ways that you guys have potentially to integrate. Obviously, you have a limited amount of resources and staff to be able to do them all. So part of the yeah, juggle yeah, is yeah. figuring out where you go first. But I definitely see a nice growth growth path for you guys. Yeah, I hope so. I think, yeah, but part of our hiring efforts is like to put together like a good BD and marketing team and the dev team is really top notch. So they can, they have very good productivity. So they, and also the, there are a lot of very good ideas being uh, floated around. So I think the next few months are going to be interesting for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're in the um, typical startup dilemma right now. It's, you have all these opportunities, which ones do you go for and which ones do you staff yeah. for? And that's exciting, but also can be can wear you down eventually. Yeah, it's, it, it is scary, right? Like it's yeah. the typical dilemma is, do I go in this one direction that's very specialized and then spend a lot of efforts on that and take a bet that's going to work out? Do we branch out into a lot of a, like a generalist protocol? We see how that worked out for a lot of protocols. It doesn't really work out too well. And then try to hedge your bets a little bit and then become this generalist protocol with like all sorts of yield farming and everything else. I don't think that's really the solution. We find like strong product market fit in one specific area, which is what our focus is. Yeah. Yeah. You start there and then later you can expand the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, reach yeah. into yeah. other verticals or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I think your timing is good. I think the market's ready for the you. Market. Plus the, the move to Phantom, I, I think they're just going to yeah. see explosive growth this year. And I think they're the most undervalued thing in crypto right now. So I think, I think that's also going to be really strong for you. Anything else on the horizon for you guys you want to tell us about or things we should? I think the most important thing is the Phantom launch. Not, not only that, but the Tempest governance token will be also tradable on Phantom. So we're setting that up right now. Nice. Uh, and then together with the actual pools that are going to be deployed in like two or three weeks time, we're going to have all sorts of pools available via Yearn. So we have we have WBTC, MIM, DAI, USDC, different pools with different maturity dates. So there's a lot of different things that people can try out. And obviously Phantom is, it doesn't cost $200 to make a transaction. So you can play around with it a lot more. Nice. I think we're, we'll, we'll start to get a lot more feedback from there as well. So I, I think that's a good good place to get started and check out the, the website and everything else. And we're also hiring, we're still hiring. 
have uh, four or five different positions right now. You can check on Angel List uh, if you just uh, put in Tempest in there. Uh, you'll see there's a uh, I think there are five or six different positions that are still open across like marketing, backend, frontend, and uh, a lot of different uh, positions. That's uh, that's something worth checking out if you're interested. And it's Tempest for everybody. It's T E M P U S. Uh, the main website is tempest.finance. Yeah, um, that's right. All right. So I ask everybody who comes on the show a question at the end, and that is what project or person in DeFi do you think is really blazing a trail or that you have a lot of respect for because you, you really like what they build and how they operate or a project that you think is important? There are so many projects, but if there was one person I had like say as embodies DeFi for me, it's probably Andre. And the, I got a reason. Someday yeah. I'm going to go back and tally up and see how, because Andre Akranje has, I, I, it's got to be 70% of the, <laughs> of the people I've spoken to. That's uh, awesome. That's yeah, great. Yeah, probably he is. Like he's the guy who didn't take uh, VC money, didn't go down that route, started off his own way, built a project and built a project that actually makes revenues and, and makes money. Yeah. Uh, that's so rare because I would say 90% of protocols right now, they just operate on a liquidity mining basis that's unsustainable. Yep. end up diluting their own capital, but Andre didn't, he decided not to go down that route. And instead of that, he built a protocol that has a sustainable source of revenue by taking a cut on the services that they provide, which right. is so rare. It's like a traditional business. And instead, <laughs> and I think, and I think that's what everybody should strive for. So it's a good yep. role model. Like also him personally, I think he's a, he's a, he's a very good builder. And then also the, the project that he built is, is definitely top tier. I'm advocating hard for revenue-based projects right now. That is the model, that the model rewards holders and that the model is to build something more sustainable. So yeah. this thing and doesn't I think the uh, burn bear out. Market, the bear market will teach people that. that yeah. that's, what, that's what matters is that you have to generate cash and you have to get actual users that pay for the product. And that's what, like, instead of having all these like modeled inflationary staking models all, all across the ecosystem, that just end up giving tokens from the treasury to people. You have to actually take money from the users and give it to the stakers. But we have, we have this sustainable revenue model that is so valuable. And I think overall, once we get through this initial phase of crypto, we're going to trend towards that and we're going to see that, but it's just going to take some time. But totally yeah, agree. That's why I said Andre and the guys are on, that, on the right path. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Listen, David, I really appreciate you spending time with us. It sounds like a fascinating project. I can't wait to see you guys launch on Phantom. I, I, I think I think you guys will probably be a little busier, even busier yep. than you are now. <laughs> yep. And uh, if everybody, anybody looking that has good experience, that's looking for a gig, check out the AngelList for Tempest Finance, because this looks like a good project. It looks like a solid philosophy and it looks like you've got good good path ahead. So thanks for coming on. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, man, absolutely.